Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino. I am one of your co-hosts, and of course, joining me as always is your other co-host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. And Jay, here we are, first week of November, and man, it was nice to enjoy some positivity for a couple of weeks, and then all that came crashing back down to earth it was it was a rough Sunday of course as all you fans know and Jay and I are here to break down all of it but nonetheless here Jay I mean we've turned the corner into the last couple of months of the year and this is where we really really need to start seeing some improvement and you know last Sunday certainly wasn't the best way to start <laughs> these last couple of months <laughs> yeah man to say the least it was a catastrophe right and you know you have Urban Meyer coming out and saying you know, hey, we know the offense now, the excuses stop and this, that and the other. And they come out like that. We shouldn't be surprised, though, you know, because as soon as Urban says something like that, the total opposite happens. And we also shouldn't be surprised in the sense that they were going to the West Coast and they've never, never really been good there. We were hoping this new regime of Jaguars were better than, you know, their predecessors on the West Coast. Uh, but that didn't pan out to be the case. And it was even more of a big deal when considering, and this is not a knock on Geno Smith because I loved him coming out of West Virginia, but when you got a guy that ain't Russell Wilson behind center and, you know, a guy that isn't a starting caliber quarterback on the NFL level doing what he did against this defense, it just don't sit well with you, you know, but that being said, we'll break all of that down and get into all of the details and as always, we appreciate the fans and the listeners tuning in for yet another episode. And uh, hopefully, despite the beatdown and the shellacking that the Jaguars took, we can make this one entertaining for them. And, you know, who else it doesn't bode well for to be a little selfish, Jay, is me and our friend Eric, who are going out to L.A. for the Rams-Jacks game. So if that was a preview of what happened against a banged-up Seattle Seahawks team, I have no idea what to expect when I get out to SoFi Stadium. So yeah. that is going to be uh, – we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. But You know what I'll say about that is let's hope that they have one of those uh, late-season blunders that they always have. I'm talking about the Rams here uh, yeah. because, as we, we all know, we saw that last year. We watched that one real closely, the Jets versus the Rams last year. And I think they might have had a blunder the year before that too. So, like, they're good for one late in the year. And uh, hopefully it's the Jacksonville Jaguars is the one that they're good for. And hopefully, most importantly, Trevor Lawrence is uh, protected much in a better fashion than he was in this game because, uh, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, we're going to break it down all of that here in just a moment. But, you know, like Jay said, we thank you all so much for the support 
and all the ratings and the comments we've been getting on social media. Thank you guys so much. Of course, again, if you're enjoying the show and you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. And of course, we can also be found on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. Of course, we are also on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the Believe Podcast Library. You can follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod and make sure to keep up with the Jaguars Wire.usatoday.com as well for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. And then before we get into the game here, Jay, let's go ahead and of course give a shout out to our sponsor, Bet Online, because Bet Online is back and better than ever. They've got a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Jay. So, of course, uh, we are going to break down the game between the Seahawks and the Jaguars. But first, we want to go over just a little bit of news. Uh, of course, the trade deadline was today. We are recording this on Tuesday, November 2nd. And uh, nothing on the Jaguars front, Jay. You know, there were rumblings that they were looking to add a receiver. I mean, uh, Urban Meyer said as much, I think, a week or so ago that they were looking to add someone at receiver. That did not happen. And it was relatively quiet around the league. I mean, after the Von Miller trade, there wasn't really a whole lot that went on. And honestly, there wasn't really going to be another deal that uh, could probably surpass that as far as the, you know, moving the needle unless one of those quarterbacks moved uh, specifically to Sean Watson. And that did not happen. So what do you think about the Jags just staying packed? Do you think it was a more of them not wanting to part ways with any of the assets that they have or just the market wasn't necessarily where they wanted it to be? Yeah, well, I'll start by saying that Urban was saying that they they would maybe look into it. He didn't say they necessarily had anybody in mind or they would go that direction. But, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, he was saying we need some speed on this team in a roundabout way. And I'm just paraphrasing him. And that could be somebody that's already on this team like Jamal Agnew or Tyron Johnson or maybe somebody else, which that, you know, basically was him saying like, you know, we might look to the trade market for somebody. And, you know, it might've been a case where, you know, there weren't any fits because I mean, to me personally, you know, like a lot of people will complain about, you know, the Jaguars not making moves and, and this, that, and the other. But I think it's just a matter of like, when I personally looked at the trade market, I didn't see anybody that would appeal to them, you know, like in the names that we were discussing, you know, the Allen Robinsons of the world and the, uh, the Michael uh, Thomases of the world, if you will, those guys were guys that we didn't know for sure were on the market. You know, those were speculatory names. Nobody came out to confirm that those guys could be had or they were on the market or whatever the case may be. So those guys were long shots anyway. And I know a lot of people were talking about those names. And, and I think another thing, too, is if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, like you said, you kind of don't want to give up the assets for a guy that's a one year rental. Right. A guy that's on the last year of his deal that's going to be here for the Jags have 10 games left. That's stupid to give up picks or compensation for somebody to have them for 10 games and not know what their future is with the team. So, 
you know, that probably played into it. And also, you know, as we always say, you know, it takes two to tango. So the other party has to want to do business with the Jaguars or join the Jaguars, one of the two. And that being said, maybe it's just hard for a team to want somebody to play for them if they're one and six and looking at their track record. I know they have Trevor Lawrence. That does help. But, you know, you might have a hard time getting an agent and a player to bite on that, you know, and, and feel optimistic about coming into that situation and what have you. That's kind of something we talked on in the past. So it could be a mixture of all of those things I basically mentioned. And uh, that being said, though, I mean, like, I think we all can agree, you know, at least most of, you know, people that I've talked to in, in the journalist world, nobody expected them to make a move or a move to happen. And it's probably best that it didn't because, you know, you just don't want to get into bad circumstances where you got a rental player and don't know the future of them or you're giving away draft compensation, which, I mean, Trent Balky, who's to say we should trust him with the draft compensation, but you don't want to just be throwing away draft compensation for rentals or, you know, players that aren't going to pan out. Yeah, one of the names that was being thrown out there, Jay, was Odell Beckham Jr. And to be clear, that's only within the fan base. You know, of course, he has some money left on his deal. But, you know, what? I don't know what makes people think that he'd be any happier here than he is in Cleveland. Also, Cleveland didn't seem necessarily keen to deal him either, which is just a really strange thing to be following. I mean, he clearly doesn't fit their offense, so I don't know why they're not looking to sell as far as Odell Beckham Jr. But, you know, other names being thrown out there, of course, Allen Robinson bringing him back for a return. Um, I know there were some other names out there that people were mentioning, but it never came to fruition. And again, I think maybe it would make a little bit of sense, Jay, if you go the rental route, you know, if this team is right in the midst of the divisional race. And of course, we know they're pretty much all but out of it at this point. You know, they're not going to compete for a playoff spot. And we knew that going in. So, you know, if that were the circumstance, then maybe you can justify it. But since they weren't, since they're not going to be, then it, again, like you said, it doesn't make sense to give up any of those assets for what could clearly be, you know, more high draft picks this uh, this spring. Right, right. And maybe along the lines of what the Jaguars needed was something along the lines of, you know, again, you know, I'm big on history and looking back at history. Uh, something along the lines of a Marcel Darius situation where, he, the person has multiple years left on their deal, but the team that they're on is trying to get rid of them, right, for cap implications. And because the end of that deal is there's still years left on the deal, but you're trying, you know, if in the Bills case, they were trying to unload that off of their books, basically, because they know they couldn't afford to pay him. And I mean, that, yeah, sure, that's a little different because the Jacksonville Jaguars had pieces on defense. And he was just an additional piece that they needed to add to help them against the run. But I'm talking about in terms of, you know, just the dynamics of it, of what, you know, the Jaguars could have pranced on if that was out there. But that wasn't the case. Um, and, and on the Odell Beckham thing, or that wasn't the case to our knowledge. Uh, on the Odell Beckham thing, I'll say this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, why would he want to come to the Jacksonville Jaguars at the same time, though? You know, those are the type of players that maybe you could reel in because, again, not just because you have Trevor Lawrence, right, but you also have that element of when the receiver looks at that team, he'll say, oh, like, I'm better than every receiver on that roster by a long shot. I could be the guy there, you know. So you have to hope that that fuels a receiver, too, to want to come to Jacksonville and say, like, look, I can easily lead that pack and 
You know what I'm saying? I'll be the guy. Like, there's no reason I shouldn't be able to get 12 catches a game with that that group. I mean, you hate to word it like that and say it like that, but, you know, like, that's kind of what the Jaguars are going to have to hope for in addition to the allure of playing with Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, that's a discussion for another time when, you know, the offseason comes and we're talking about free agency and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, again, getting ahead of ourselves, but you got to think they got to add – two guys to this wide receiver group that are able to bring speed and separation because uh, the group that we have now has been overwhelmingly disappointing. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. Yeah. Phil, I'll say this too. Like you said, they, they two the three big guys and a lot of it falls on, you know, uh, Balky has to people and people will hate that. I'll say this, but Balky, and we've said this multiple times, Balky has to get a little Dave Caldwell in, you know, screw all of this value stuff. When you're at the bottom of the league, value signings aren't going to help you that much. Dave Caldwell knew that. Dave Caldwell knew he had to overpay people. He knew he had to pay Malik Jackson a $95 million contract. And his, I, his, his mindset was like, I'll pay him that contract and we'll worry about the end of the deal later. Because the salary cap, as we know, is fake and we can get this person off our books. I'll get Calais Campbell and I'll front load this deal for the first three years and we'll worry about the rest of the money later. Trent Baalke has to develop a little bit of that and, and move away from this value thing because value signings, which is what they did, the Jihad Wars of the world and the um, Rayshon Jenkins of the world, that's not working out. We'll talk about them later as well in the game because some of them had some issues in the game. So, yeah, I mean, that's just my mindset heading forward. Uh, we'll see if he, you know, he breaks that, that trend or Urban Meyer has to get him out of that mold. Yeah, but that talk about value and all of that stuff like that he's gonna have to cut that out next season because that's gonna really irritate fans next year especially knowing where we are coming off a potential one two to three win season you know you're gonna have to kind of drop that and, and get some blue chippers in here well again we are kings of the off season, so when that time comes uh, best believe that jay and i will have all of that covered the only other bit of news we did want to talk about here is that josh lambeau has been added to the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad. So, you know, best of luck, of course, to Josh, and maybe he can find his, you know, for lack of a better term, footing back in Pittsburgh and, you know, get things back on the right track. Interesting, uh, you know, movement here from the Steelers, Jay, as we talked about before. You know, of course, they traded Melvin Ingram and replaced him with Taco Charlton, which is uh, just an interesting move all around for the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know what that organization has going on man and me you talk about Steelers often we've had this conversation because of Mike Tomlin right and they're they're obviously rivals of ours too but yeah it's just a lot of weird things going on with the Steelers man like hanging on to Ben Roethlisberger too long and these moves that you just spoke on are kind of puzzling now with Lambeau of course it's a, a matter of Boswell got hurt so it's probably temporary more than anything but still, like, you know, this is a great opportunity for Josh Lambeau to go out there, you know, make some kicks, show people that he still got it. And then, you know, just kind of make, you know, put a body of work out there for anybody else that'll need a kicker later down the road this year or in training camp next year. So that's a good opportunity for him. I mean, also the Steelers, when we talk about like just questionable decision making, but they're, they've won three straight now, you know, so it's like. Ben's hanging on just long enough, and I will also say this, Jay, Ben's doing well enough for Deontay Johnson to continue to produce for me in fantasy football, so I don't know what the heck's going on in Pittsburgh, but it's working for me, and I just needed to continue 
for the sake of my fantasy season because of course you know the actual football for my team isn't going very well um but you know that's neither here nor there but uh let's move into the Jags and Seahawks here Jay of course Jacksonville makes the trek out to Seattle against a two and four at the time or two and five I should say at the time Seattle Seahawks team coming off a couple of bad losses a team as we mentioned last week Jay in turmoil a little bit they're kind of trying to figure out who they are without Russell Wilson and you think that you have an opportunity to go in there and just kind of catch them off guard you know hit them while they're down type of thing and that just does not happen of course the Jaguars lose 31 to 7 you know you could make the argument it should have been 24 to 7 but interesting special teams decisions happened right there at the very end of the game you know just looking at the box score here Jay I mean this a lot of people were saying it all over social media on Sunday this was week one Jaguars Trevor Lawrence threw the ball 54 times 32 of 54 238 a touchdown and an interception of course you know we do know that they lost James Robinson early and you know once that happened it just kind of threw everything off Carlos Hyde had the bulk of the carries, nine carries, 32 yards, and uh, not a lot going on there in the run game. Of course, they went down very early in this game. As far as the receivers, Dan Arnold, eight catches, 68 yards, six catches, 40 yards for Carlos Hyde, six catches, 38 yards for Jamal Agnew, and five catches, 35 yards for Marvin Jones. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, two catches, 13 yards. We'll talk about him here in a moment as well. But Jay, I mean, we'll start on the offensive side of the football and it's just, again, a lot of regression. You're coming off three or four games where you looked really, really good. You're making those strides. And I don't know. I mean, I'll have you speak on it. Was it all, does this just show how important James Robinson is to this offense? Or is it just that we just don't have those alphas, those playmakers that you were talking about outside of him and Trevor? Yeah, both of those things play into it. For one, you could tell that the game plan here, at least in the early stages, the game plan was to give them a heavy dosage of James Robinson, right? But a lot of the game plan, it appeared from the first few series was to not only use James Robinson, but to utilize the short passing game with him, to use the short passing game with the receivers and so on and so forth. So they were going to dink and dump this team to death. And I mean, I, I guess you can kind of understand why when seeing the, the Seahawks, as we talked about with Tim and we talked about ourselves was, you know, one of the worst passing defenses in football. And this is a this is a old like for me, it reminded me of the Jaguars look like from the first few series that they were going to go into the, that game and pull the old the whole thing we did with the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs in 2017. Is let's do enough on offense, right? Let's just barely do enough on offense. Uh, we're not going in here trying to put up 21 points against this bill. If we score 10 points against this Bills offense, that's enough. Now, look, you, you were probably going to have to score more than that to beat the Seahawks team. But what I'm saying, the point is, is what the offense and Daryl Bevel's mindset could have been for this. It's just let's do enough. Let's put up you know, 17 points and the defense should be able to do enough to handle Geno Smith, which we'll talk about later. And that was not the case. So I think, like you said, yeah, that's some of it is that, you know, they lost James Robinson and Carlos Hyde is a completely different player than him. You know, immediately when Carlos Hyde came on the field, I just saw you could always see 
the immediate difference between him and James Robinson. It was one catch he caught out in the flats, right? And then he tried to turn it up field. He didn't turn up field as fluidly as James Robinson did. He kind of stumbled out of his his uh, his turn. Maybe. And he still got positive yardage. It was a good game. But I was thinking to myself, James Robinson would have been out of there. There would have been no stumbling. He would have probably ran somebody over too. And that would have been a first down instead of five yards, six yards. So, yeah, I mean, you can obviously tell there's a huge difference there in between his play and Carlos Hyde. And, yeah, with that being said, you know, the approach they were going to take wasn't going to excite anybody. If you're going to dink and dump a team to death, that's not going to excite the fans at home. You know, I was reading the timeline and everybody's like, this offense is just irritate, which that's understandable, too, by the way. But again, that is because of what you said, right? We don't have those alphas on the outside. It can't be the old theory that we've already used in this podcast. Uh, it can't be just one guy. It can't be just Marvin Jones, who he was struggling himself. So when Marvin Jones is struggling, what do you have on the outside? So that's probably why, you know, they weren't challenging those cornerbacks like they should have. Maybe they aren't confident in what they have at receiver uh, as a staff. You have LaVisca Chenault dropping pass and he's not looking like himself. Tyron Johnson has yet to be really involved in the offense and showed any kind of uh, shell of himself when he was with the uh, Chargers. Tavon Austin is a guy, as, as much as people like Tavon Austin, including myself and his speed, Tavon Austin is a guy that was signed off the street and is 30 years old. You know, so that really shows you what they're working with at receiver. And, you know, like it's to me, maybe this was the game where Daryl Belville and the offense basically or the staff came to grips with like, we don't like what we have on the outside. And that's probably why they didn't plan to utilize them deep down the field and, you know, attack those cornerbacks who struggled. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And that's that's pretty much how it went. But I think if James Robinson stays in that game, it's much more closer. I think everybody would agree with that. The results are a little bit better. Don't necessarily think I don't know if that means they necessarily will win. But I like our chances better if James Robinson was able to stay in the game. And when he left the game, you know, what do you have at that point aside from Jamal Agnew? You know, so that really sums up what pretty much happened in this game, in my opinion. Um, though some people may, you know, have a different opinion on, you know, what went on on uh, Sunday night. Again, and I don't think what we're saying here, Jay, is that James Robinson means they win the game. But yeah, like you said, it's a whole lot closer. I mean, we talked about it earlier today. That first drive, they're moving the football. They On that very first drive, they're immediately getting into Seahawks territory, and then everything just kind of fell apart from there. And then I'm not sure exactly when James Robinson went out. I think it was late in the first or early in the second. You know, those receivers you mentioned, have other than Marvin Jones, Jay, have just been complete non-factors, and that includes LaVisca Chenault. So LaVisca Chenault, Tyron Johnson, Tavon Austin, all these guys, you know, we're, we hear all throughout camp, no one's getting separation, and we're seeing the consequences of that now. Then, you know, juxtapose that against what Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are doing. Now, we'll take even DK Metcalf out of the situation because he is a athletic freak. <laughs> like, there's no one else built like DK Metcalf. But Tyler Lockett, he has the speed, but he's still more of a traditional wide receiver. He's getting the separation. I mean, he's killing Tyson Campbell all game, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But when you have those guys that have been completely unable to contribute on the offensive side of the football, and that was even including DJ Chark early on in the season, 
this is what you're going to get. Dan Arnold's been relatively reliable. and then, But like you said, Jay, when Marvin Jones is off and no one else steps up, then this is kind of what you're going to get. So let me ask you this year, Jay, before we move into the defensive side of the ball. For one play, they did do something that they did a lot more last year with last year's coaching staff, and that's they put LaVisca in at running back. He had one carry, eight yards, you know, showed some speed, showed some burst, and he was clearly struggling, you know, on the receiver side of things. Are you surprised, or do you expect maybe them to go to that a little bit more if James Robinson misses like a game or two? I know we want LaVisca to, of course, we need to preserve his health as well, but I mean, LaVisca's starting to, he's nowhere near the area of like a Calavon as far as like disappointment, but we're getting to the point where we have to discuss LaVisca and his lack of production. And I don't know if that's scheming or what that is, but do you think maybe they'll start moving LaVisca around a little bit? I know, I, I know they did claim Divine Zigbo, so he'll be coming back, but going in against the Buffalo Bills with Carlos Hyde, Dare Gumbawale, and uh, Zigbo, I mean, I don't feel very good about that. So do you think maybe they'll try to utilize LaVisca a little bit more as that Swiss Army knife type of guy that we heard that he was supposed to be? Yeah, I'll say this. They regardless of as uh regardless to if James Robinson returns or not, I'm of the belief and I talked to Stodge about this yesterday. Shout out to Stodge. I'm of the belief, regardless of what happens with James Robinson, that we, you know, from the sounds of it, we fully expect him to be back uh at least within some weeks. It's nothing that like, you know, it's gonna take him to be on IR. It sounds like at least we're not doctors and you know, we don't have doctors sources in that building or anything but regardless they need to use LaVisca at running back anyway because he struggled so much and because he's struggling with catching the pa- uh, catching passes and this that and the other because the reason I feel like that is because that is a way to get him involved in the game get his confidence up early and then you can move him to the outside as a receiver and maybe he starts to catch those passes after getting some momentum as a rusher and that's kind of what we saw last year. It's like they would use him behind the line of scrimmage. He'd take that momentum and transfer it to playing receiver, you know? So, like, he would he would basically, in a nutshell, take the, the success and the momentum he had rushing the ball and transfer it to a pass catcher's perspective when he was in the slide or, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, when there were injuries, he played way out on the perimeter or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, with him struggling so much, but also being one of the top players or – supposedly uh, being one of the top players of this offense, maybe you put him back there more and get him involved and uh, involved and get him some momentum in that way. And also, you know, then later on the game, flank him out at receiver a little bit more. And maybe, you know, that helps to get his confidence up to where he can, uh, you know, factor into the game as a receiver, because that's pretty much what Dave Caldwell and, you know, Doug Marone and that whole crew did last year. We can remember that conversation that Doug said he had with LaVisca when they drafted him. He said, look, man, we're going to put a lot on your plate. And he was fine with it. He flourished with it. And he was arguably better than he was with this regime who's trying to solely use him at receiver. So maybe that's what LaVisca is. Maybe LaVisca is predominantly a running back. Maybe he is Cordero Patterson who we're seeing, you know, how the Falcons use yeah, him. Look how his Maybe that's what LaVisca Chenault is. He, uh, Cordero Patterson right, it's turned around. He looks like 180, a, yeah. Yeah, like people are like, whoa, like where did this guy come from? You know, so that being said, uh, we'll see. I would hope that they want to get him more involved in the running game. I mean, I, that's not to say like I'm worried you are with the with the running backs, not the biggest fan on Hyde. I do like Ogumba Wale. 
Uh, I do think Divino Zigbo, when he was here the first time during his first tenure, deserved some more opportunities. And he kind of showed us what he could do in that last game in the preseason against the Dallas Cowboys. It was a drive where they completely leaned on him. And I liked his tape coming out of Nebraska. But this is more so about getting LaVisca involved than, you know, a guy that you drafted highly that you need to get on the field and keep on the field in any way, shape, or form because, you know, you just invested so much time and effort and draft picks into him. Yeah, and if you don't know this, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of you do, I mean, getting a wide receiver their first catch in the third quarter isn't conducive to getting them going. Like, you might as well write them off for the remainder of the game. I'm, there are very few wide receivers, I'm sure, that would be able to just go ahead and completely, uh, ju- if they're not involved in the game whatsoever until the third or fourth quarter, that's pretty much a wrap for them. Like, you got to get those guys involved, or you got to get your playmakers involved. And if LaVisca, like you said, is struggling a wide receiver, give him the ball, hand the ball off to him, throw him some screens. You know, it's he's able to do it. He's got the athletic ability. So yeah, Cordell Patterson, that like literally like was like a light bulb in my head. Like, I can't believe I didn't put that together. That's exactly how they need to use him. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see the this coaching staff, you know, adjust accordingly because they need to get him the ball, especially again, like you said, if James Robinson's going to miss a week or two, you know, we do expect him back before the end of the season, but you got to change things up if, uh, you know, this is how things are going to go for the next couple of weeks. You got the Bills coming in, and that's going to be, who knows how that game is going to go. So let's move to the defensive side of the ball here, Jay, where, I mean, (laughs) shout out to our friend Jay Poggin, who we mentioned went to the game last week, and she kind of gave me an idea of the mood around the stadium there in Seattle. And again, even the fan base was not feeling great about this game as far as the Seahawks fans. And, you know, they were um, not necessarily, of course, very confident in Geno Smith because he's Geno Smith, you know? We've seen who Geno Smith is in this league. And where he's at is probably his perfect role as a backup quarterback that can come in and give you a little bit of a boost for a short time. And that's exactly what he did. There's that longtime notion where Jaguars, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars can make a subpar quarterback look like Peyton Manning or look like Tom Brady. And man, Jay, I've never seen Geno Smith have that kind of control over an offense in his entire career. I mean, it definitely helps that they finally started targeting Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I mean, when you got those two guys, like why not give them the ball all the time? And it seems like they were kind of having issues with that a little bit early on, but I mean, Geno Smith, 20 to 24 and 195 and two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, as I mentioned, Jay, just feasted on Tyson Campbell for the most part for the entire game. 12 catches, 142, and then DK Metcalf, six catches, 43, and uh, you know, a couple of those and two touchdowns and a couple of those catches, you know, those t- two touchdown passes actually against his old friend Shaq Griffin. So Jay defensively, of course, you know, they're not getting any help from the offense as they've seen throughout the season. The penalties, we're going to talk about the penalties here. I want to leave that for last, actually, because the amount of penalties that I jotted down, Jay, we I don't know what the hell is going on there. But, you know, you look at the defensive side here, just what do you think it was about the game plan that Seattle, was it how Seattle schemed this game? Was it just that, they again, they don't have the talent to keep up with guys like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? I mean, where do you even start when it comes to the defensive side of things? Yeah, well, first and foremost, you have to always go back when you look at its defense because a lot of the additions to it was made, you know, in the offseason, whether that be in the draft or free agency. You have to go back to how, which we talked about with Balky, how they attack addressing this defense. Excuse me, I said offense at first, but how they attack uh, addressing this defense. And that's with a bunch of mid-tier players. 
And, you know, that's what this is the result you get when you don't get a heavy hitter. Um, I, I guess you could say Shaquille Griffin's money would say he's a, a heavy hitter or Jenkins money would kind of say he's kind of a heavy hitter. But that, you know what I mean when I say heavy hitter, uh, a heavy hitter, a, a Calais Campbell, a Malik Jackson, you know, a guy that can AJ boy. Yeah, that can factor into the game, be an X factor into the game for the defense. So, yeah, now a lot of that is coming up where they got a lot of mid-tier players and don't have a good pass rush, uh, you know, aside from, you know, Josh Allen. And and this is stuff – it's crazy because this is stuff that Urban Meyer talked about beforehand. Is Josh Allen and DeMond Smooth are getting there. Uh, they just don't have the push that he would like to see for them to, you know, to help those guys out. And, you know, the push was a little bit better. You know, he talked about that Urban Meyer did this week. The push was a little better this week, but previously the push hadn't been there like he would like. So, you know, maybe we go to the good old UGA this year and grab one of those heavy hitters we got in the trenches, just throwing that out there in terms of the draft. That Those guys can get you all the push you need since you're looking for a push, Trent Balky. But, uh, you know, I digress from my point. But I think that's what it is. And also... I think what it also is, is that, you know, I'm just going to call it spade a spade. Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer do not know what the hell they're doing at the cornerback position. At least it appears. And, you know, like, you know, that might, if they were listening to this, they might take offense to that because they've done this for many, many years and I haven't. But what has shown us that they do know what they're doing at the cornerback position? You know what I mean? Like, just look how this position has been handled all year. They traded Sidney Jones, which they were right to do. He was, he wasn't all that great. You know, they traded Sidney Jones. They got Tyson Campbell, who has been questionable. He's shown that at best he should have been a fifth-round pick. You know, they got him in the, the top of the second round. And this is coming from a UGA fan. So, you know, it's hard for me to just say that about Tyson. You know, and then they, you know, they traded Josiah Scott for, I forgot the other cornerback's name, who's no longer on the team. They cut him during, you know, training camp. So like the and course, just the, then of course CJ Henderson, you know. Then, so. Yeah, then CJ Henderson, who again was it, you know, he looked good in that one preseason game when he returned to the field, but he was never available. So, you know, depending on who you ask, I think I was listening to T Wig's podcast. He was saying that Trent Balky was just as high on CJ Henderson as Dave Caldwell when they made that pick. So you gotta feel like Balky factored into that a little bit too so even though Dave Caldwell was the one that ultimately made the call on that so they just don't know what they're doing at the cornerback position they get Shaquille Griffin who you know is I think we can agree like he's he's been a little better uh before this game at least DK Metcalf was kind of all over the place on him but you know he's been a little bit better the weeks before than you know he was to start the season but you know even he is a number two guy so they just just like they need at the receiver position, the cornerback position needs an overhaul. And also to help the cornerback position, even if you get some alphas at the cornerback position, you got to know what you're doing in terms of getting that help in the front, in the trenches, in terms of, you know, getting the people that can rush the passer as well. That's something that, again, going back to what we we've already said this, if you look at Dave Caldwell's tenure, that's something he knew that he needed to have. He addressed it the right way. He spent the money necessary to get. Malik Jackson, Marcel Darius, Calais Campbell. Money wasn't a thing when it came to fixing up the front, fixing up the trenches, and fixing up the cornerback position. That's the mentality this team needs to take on if they want to fix this defense, not getting a bunch of second-tier players or, you know, these players that barely got play time in their previous regimes. That's not going to cut it. 
and we'll see if they, you know, address that down the road in the off season. But it, it seems like I'll say this: it seems like all of the work they put in in the off season on the defense, it, we're looking at the same needs again, and that's not good. Having to address the same stuff twice in a row, and that's gonna puzzle some people, and that's gonna worry some people. But it's a time will tell thing as to if they can address it. Obviously, that can't be done this year. Yeah, and you talk about this, Jay, where you know a bunch of second tier players that weren't necessarily getting play time elsewhere. It's like I think we've seen people throw this around too. Like the Jaguars have players starting that would be fighting for play time elsewhere. Like, and that's like the issue here. I mean, yes, thank God, you know, Dwan Smoot and Josh Allen are getting to the quarterback. They're finally, you know, some of those plays where in the past couple of games where the quarterback escaped, they finally got to them this time. Although Geno Smith still did have some kind of a crazy escape out of the pocket. No idea how he did that. He turned into like an eight yard gain. I mean, that's just, that's just good athleticism, I guess, is what's going on there. But I mean, between that, like, I don't know what they're going to do here at this point, Jay. I mean, you talked about the secondary. I mean, it's just, it's just a complete mess back there. And I mean, I'll go as far. You said, you know, Chad Griffin is definitely playing better. And, you know, we've thrown out the numbers of him lining up against DeAndre Hopkins, you know, who was hurt. We saw how he did, how he fared against Jamar Chase, who was turning into one of the best young receivers in the league. And then he put him up against a guy who he is obviously very familiar with in DK Metcalf, and he's unable to stop him. Now, again, let's be fair. Most cornerbacks in the league can't stop DK Metcalf. But I think ideally in a situation, you want Shaq Griffin to be your best number two corner. Like, if we're going to be in a position where we have to rely on him being our best defensive back, then we're in trouble. So, again, a bunch of these players that they brought in, it's like you said, like they're value players. I'm not trying to be disrespectful because they can do things that I would never be able to do. But in terms of the National Football League, the talent's not here. And we're starting to see that more and more each and every single week. We fall in love with these guys every offseason, Jay. Like, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. Like, oh, did you see how Miles Jack looked? Did you see how Rayshon Jenkins looked? Did you see how Shaq Griffin and, you know, how the attitude is there in camp? That's all fine and dandy, but it's not translating to wins on the field. So it is time to call a spade a spade because what we have here, of course, isn't going to work. And yes, it's only been one year for this regime and maybe they can knock one out of the park. Like, what they need to do, Jay, is, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves as far as the offseason. They need one all-star signing. They need an A-plus signing this year. Otherwise, I will have no confidence in them whatsoever that they'll be able to lure in that type of player in the future. Yeah, exactly. They need one because that's all it takes, right? Because it's a trickle effect. We saw it with That's what a, happened in 2016. Yeah. Right. With Calais or with Malik. Right. You, they see, oh, whoa, the Jaguars paid Malik Jackson a $95 million contract. Oh, Calais, you know, who I know, you know, I think like this is the relationship between Calais and Malik, who I knew from the Pro Bowl. Let me reach out to Malik Jackson and and, and see how it is there, you know, and like obviously they are willing to pay. That's all it takes. You know, he reaches out to Malik Jackson. Next thing you know, Calais Campbell. And I'm just throwing out hypotheticals there, how these things work. Next thing you know, Calais Campbell is in the mix and choosing Jacksonville over his hometown of Denver. Remember that? He chose Jacksonville over his hometown of Denver. People forget that. And because you know, you had like, that recruiter here. You had that right. recruiter in Malik Jackson. Right. And then you see, you get an AJ Boyer, who, you know, it sounds like according to that Prisco report that we read many, many years ago, you know, his relationship with 
Jalen Ramsey kind of soured, but in the beginning, right, you have a AJ Boyer who sees a young Jalen Ramsey and be like, oh, pairing me up with that guy and Malik Jackson in the trenches. This team is obviously willing to spend the money to get the pass rush there. I'm joining that. I'm in for that. Then you get a, a Tayshawn Gibson that wants to join the mix. Oh, Jalen Ramsey and AJ Boyer in there with me. Okay. I'm down for that. You know, and, and it just, it goes, like you said, it's the, or like I said, it's a trickle effect. So they have to get that one blue chipper to start it off. And even when they get that one blue chipper though, they can't stop there. They have to be aggressive. They have to find different ways and be, they have to be creative because they are the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have Urban Meyer as a coach. A lot of people don't like Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars have been on the bottom of the league for so long. So they have to get creative. They have to make some trades. Sometimes they have to pull a page out of the old Les Snead book. Les Snead is doing some untraditional things there with the Rams and they're just saying screw draft picks. Now I'm not saying go that far with it, but if it's an opportunity to pass off a high draft pick for a very good player and that player is willing to come here because he sees that we already have other blue chippers here then you know that's use that to your advantage but again we have to get there first and that's why this next offseason if they're going to keep Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer is so important because they cannot do what they did last year in terms of the offseason they also can't do this whole thing of getting people in the draft that they're not going to utilize that's not helping either because basically, again, what I'm saying is this just makes your offseason a wash. What did you draft Andre Cisco for? What did you draft uh, Walker Little for? So on and so forth. The approach they made this year needs to be just balled up and throw it away. This, uh, at least the offseason approach they had. Balled it up, throw it away, put kerosene on it, burn it. Don't go that route again, ever. And go try something different. Get creative. Get Use Urban Meyer's. Uh, you know, you use his star power to get whatever play. Like, again, I said a lot of people don't like him, but it's also a lot of people that do like him. If you can get a Michael Thomas in here, use that to your advantage. You got to get creative. And if you get creative, maybe you can move away and veer away from the defense that we're seeing that is one of the worst in the league, clear. Yeah, the trick is just getting that first domino to fall. And when you, again, the other thing, the other bargaining chip or recruiting chip you got to use is Trevor Lawrence. You know, I don't know how involved the starting quarterback can be as far as, you know, a recruitment tool. I don't know if like they sit in on or if they're allowed to sit in on free agency meetings, but bring that guy in, bring him in, bring in a guy like Shaq Griffin, who, you know, even though we just criticize his play, he can still be a good recruiting tool for a guy that has a lot of positivity. He, he seems like he would be a good salesman, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Bring those guys in to a recruiting trip, you know, to a, a meeting. And, you know, I don't know if that happens anyway, but like use everything you have. Like you said, there are people that like Urban Meyer. Use everything you can to get a, you know, to get some kind of competitive edge because that's what it's going to take. Go ahead, Jay. Right, right. That's exactly what it's going to take. And, you know, like when you look back at the offseason, right, now that I look back at it at hindsight when you and I was thinking about it, there's no way that the Jacksonville Jaguars shouldn't, would, especially with the salary cap they had, there's no way that they shouldn't have been able to get a Kenny Galladay who played for Darryl Bell. There's no way that they shouldn't be able to get, I forgot the receiver's name. He, I think he ended up signing with the Washington football team that Urban Meyer coached at Ohio. Curtis uh, Samuel. Curtis Samuel. There's no way that you shouldn't be able to get a Curtis Samuel in here with the money that you got and the, you know, the resources you got. 
And if Urban Meyer is the guy that Shad Khan boasts him up to be, you know, and, and talk about him in the fashion, and that's another thing. We all saw that report from Rappaport, and shout outs to Rappaport. This ain't a knock on him. We love him. Uh, friend of the show, as we always say. Once you come on this show, you're a friend of ours, right? But the report that came out from Rappaport where, you know, Rappaport was saying a source told him that he's all in with Urban Meyer. And my initial thought, and you saw it in the article that I wrote about that was, what has he seen to be all in with Urban Meyer this early into Urban Meyer's tenure? Even, I mean, like on and off the field, the bar incident, the Doyle situation, the lack of how they're using their draft picks on the field. Why come out and say that right now? You know, and like, I feel like it's some kind of tactic going into that of, you know, Shad Khan trying to maybe get it out there that, hey, it's not as bad as it seemed when it really may be pretty bad. But, you know, you know how the media world works when somebody has you looking like the lower end, end tier team of the league. You know, there's always somebody that the owners can reach out to to make them look better than, you know, the people that's been knocking them. Maybe it's a little bit of that involved in there. But uh, yeah, man, like that, that report just kind of irked me in the sense that Urban Meyer goes out there. As soon as that report comes out, right, Urban Meyer and this team goes out there and they put up the results that they put up. It's like, that's a slap in the face of Shad Khan. You just sign off and endorse and say you all in on this guy. And he go out there and get the wheels blown off of him against Seattle and Geno Smith. That's why you can't say that stuff this early and let that stuff get out there this early into Urban Meyer's tenure because he has a lot to prove. And until he proves it, then you can start making that I'm all in with them talk and all of that. But maybe they're already sold on them for whatever reason. And if they are, that could be a very, very bad thing if this team doesn't get trending upwards in the right direction soon. Yeah, and, you know, talking about Curtis Samuel, I know he's been uh, he has been hurt here in the last couple of weeks, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be able to use, again, your connections there. Kenny Galladay, remember, Jay, he didn't sign until way later. So he was still available, you know, well into free agency. Try that pairing again between him and Marvin Jones. Bring those guys in. And, you know, maybe it had something to do with their confidence in DJ Chark. I don't know if that was the case, but I mean, yeah, like I said, it's going to take that one domino to fall and they, use, they need to use every bargaining chip that they have. But so before we bring our guest in for Behind Enemy Lines here this week, Jay, which is going to be Nick Woshton, who is the managing editor of the Bills Wire. I, you know, I do just want to talk about these penalties and you guys may have seen me tweet it out over uh, earlier today. And this is just the penalties I saw. And a lot of these, Jay, I wrote down before we even got to the fourth quarter. You know, we had a taunting penalty early on two roughing the passer calls, two delay of games, a 12-man in formation. Uh, Calavon has that offsides that totally negates Trey Herndon's interception. Now, that may have been Geno knowing he had a free play. Um, we had an illegal block in the back on the kickoff, which resulted in the drive having to start inside their own 10-yard line. We had an illegal formation on a punt, which I don't know that I've ever seen. And then in the fourth quarter, I mean, the game's already out of, out of reach, but we had a holding and a false start back-to-back in the fourth quarter. And you know, this kind of adds on to the point, Jay, where it looked like the week one Jaguars, they came out of the bye looking worse than they did, which I did not know was possible. So what in the world, who is to blame here? I mean, I'm sure it's shared blame, but like who should shoulder the blame of all of these, this, this really sloppy football that we saw on Sunday, because it was baffling to the point that Brian Gumble and uh, whoever his partner was, they were making jokes about it by the time the third, fourth quarter came around. And I mean, the game was also so uninteresting to them. They were talking about 
the Halloween in their neighborhood. See, now I know why. And I don't, I'm not a big advocate for, I think it's Keyshawn Johnson. I'm not his biggest fan, but he says that he watches the game on mute. It might be Shannon Sharp that watches the game on mute. But I'm going to start doing that myself, you know, if it's not Romo <laughs> or any of these other top tier guys. Because, I mean, having to listen to that nonsense was just getting really, really irritating. That's neither here nor there. But anyway, penalties. What the hell happened? <laughs> well, you know, that issue will be fixed. Come out the issue of, you know, announcers not being listenable. Because, you know, eventually me and you will be in the game announcing ga- uh, games. True. You know, so like, <laughs> this is true. we'll, we'll eliminate yeah, yeah, that'll we'll eliminate all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, like I don't, you know, that's kind of hard to say. But I, what I will say that is this about the penalties and how they just came out in general is you notice a trend here again. Me and Stodge had this conversation earlier. You notice a trend when you give the Jaguars two weeks off as they had before their first game, and in this case during the bye, they had two weeks off. You notice in the trend, right, Phil? They come out and they look so unprepared. They came out and looked so unprepared against the Texans. They came out and looked so unprepared against the Seattle Seahawks. So I will say this. I think this is a team that doesn't need too much time off. Yeah, I mean, like, sure, you need time off in terms of I've always been an advocate of giving these players the rest they need that's necessary in terms of, you know, keeping them off the field and the the wear and tear you get from actually practicing and playing in games and so on and so forth. But I guess I'm talking about from the standpoint of just the team having two weeks and not playing a game for two weeks. The Jacksonville Jaguars have shown they are the type of team that needs to consistently play games to, and and that might fall on coaches and that might fall on the players. That's a good question, you know, and it's funny because the one Smoot mentioned that, you know, it was, if I don't know if you saw this comment and I don't want to misquote it, and if I am, please forgive me, everybody. But didn't the one smooth say something along the lines of players didn't show up to the facility to until Wednesday or they didn't fully get everybody together until Wednesday? Did you see that? Right. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and find the, the tweet that Boogie sent us. Right. So that was just bizarre in itself. And in the NFL, that can't be a thing. Whoever that falls on Urban Meyer or the players, that can't be a thing. And, you know, the reason that can't be a thing, because you're preparing for an NFL team. If you don't start from Monday or in some cases, if you don't start from Sunday to Saturday in terms of preparing for your next opponent, guess what? You're going to be run off the field like the Jacksonville Jaguars, where it takes every every day is literally valuable in between. And Urban Meyer has said that every day is valuable in between the time you take the field or you step off the field from your last game between you know the, the the next game that you have so you have to use that window of practices and that window of days off wisely and that being said like if everybody just is getting together on Wednesday defensively well no wonder the Seahawks were able to run up and down the field on us and Geno Smith was able to put together 11 or 14 or however many consecutive passes it was together Y'all just really start preparing for these people hardcore like you're supposed to Wednesday. That's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's four days away from the game. That's not a good look. And, you know, like, I guess we could say maybe it falls on coaching. But at the same time, does Urban Meyer have to tell if this is what indeed happened? We don't know for sure. Does Urban Meyer have to tell people, hey, get here on Monday 
is that, you know, does he really have to tell professional NFL players get here on Monday so we start preparing like the Seahawks like we're supposed to? Is that even necessary? That's stuff that doesn't have to be said. You know that you have to prepare for these teams uh, and use your windows between time diligently. You know that you know that process needs to start on Monday and end on Saturday. And from that standpoint, maybe it falls on the players. Maybe it falls on the coaching for allowing it. But I was kind of shocked that they got out from DeJuan Smooth. He probably didn't mean to say it. He probably accidentally blurbed it out there. And, uh, you know, that was just an interesting tidbit that he shared with us that I was like, man, like every week we hear something crazy in a press conference that just baffles us. And that was it. That was it. Yeah, I found the tweet here, Jay, from Duraco. Uh, DeJuan Smooth said things were sloppy because they were coming off a bye and the players weren't together after the Wednesday of the bye week. So there you have it. And uh, yeah, maybe Smoot, you know, spoke, uh, you know, not, uh, not necessarily out of turn, but, you know, it maybe uh, wore a little bit of word vomit there. So I don't know if that's what we can credit it to, but the lack of discipline in, in some of those penalties was, um, yeah, it, you just can't see it in week, what, eight, nine of the season. It, it's just unacceptable. Right. And I will say this, I think the penalty part will get cleaned up. That's just the element, and I said this on Twitter, that's just a result of them being off for so long. And this is a young team that has shown that they don't need a lot of time off because they don't come out all that great. But I think that'll get cleaned up the further they get away from the buy and the more consistent, you know, the games get. And, you know, the when they get back into a normal routine, I think that because they were cleaning up the penalties, that was something that we spoke highly of against Miami and before is they didn't look like the team that Doug Marone had that was committing 10 penalties a week. They were kind of veering away from that. And I just think like this might be a result of just, you know, them coming out of the bye sluggish and just unprepared. But I think, you know, that is not going to be a routine thing. That's not to say we're going to win games, but I think the, Penalties will probably drop drastically and it will continue to drop, uh, you know, throughout the weeks. And we, we might not see a, a performance like that again in terms of the penalty, but you never can put it past this team at the same time. Hey, listen, you don't need to speak it into existence, Jay. It'll happen on its own. OK, so we don't need you adding extra bad karma or bad juju to the team. It'll happen on its own. Trust us. Uh, we certainly know that. But Jay, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we bring in our guest? You handled this one solo this week as I was actually uh, joining another Bills podcast here. So anything else you want to talk about before we bring Nick in for Behind Enemy Lines? Nah, man, nothing. Uh, I think we got it all out there of all the talking points that needed to get out there. They'll probably, you you know how it happens after the podcast. We'll be like, oh, we forgot to talk on this and we've got to talk on that. I guess we could put that on Twitter. And that's what the social media, uh, the social media account is for and our individual accounts are for. So if there's anything we miss or, it, you know, I'll even say this. If there's anything that you guys that's listening wanted us to speak on, you know, shoot us something on Twitter or shoot us something on whatever platform. And, you know, we'll try and answer it. Aaron Smiley, our homie that came on earlier in the year he asked us a question earlier today and I, w- I wouldn't mind more of that of questions from you all that we might have missed in the podcast yeah we'll start doing that again we kind of got away from that with the season starting of course just so much going on but you know we'll look into that more as far as getting some questions answered from you guys the listeners because ultimately I mean you're the most important part of the show to be honest with y'all you know uh, outside of Jay and I well, we can do this show for nobody and you know, if nobody listens then uh, it's going to be all for nothing. So yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and do that though. Let's get into 
behind enemy lines for the Buffalo Bills with Nick Woshton of the Bills Wire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another segment of Behind Enemy Lines, at least the audio version. You all, as I've said in the past, you all see that we do Behind Enemy Lines on the Jaguars wire as well, which we will do. Me and Nick will, uh, will join forces on that and get that done later to put up on our sites later down the road. But for now, we're doing the audio format version of Behind Enemy Lines, and we have Nick Wojden of the bills wire he's been their editor to my knowledge for two to three years if i can recall correctly he'll correct me on that but nick welcome to the bills uh excuse me welcome to the believe in jacks podcast thanks for joining us and how are you doing today my man yeah we're doing good thanks for having me of course uh glad to uh jump on here and help anytime and uh yeah, the believe believe bills there. Yeah, that'll get you. The, the bills fans will do the bill leave. They'll make their signs and they'll like you know put B I L L Eve. You know, so it it that's a that's a totally acceptable mix up there. Right, man. I'm so glad to have you, man. And we've been trying to do this series. We try to stay consistent with it. Some weeks we can't get somebody on, and I appreciate you coming on on short notice, by the way, because I like literally. For those of you all who are listening to this podcast, I literally informed him like yesterday to come on. <laughs> so, uh, he did me a favor. Yeah, no, no problem. I actually felt bad because I, I usually don't have like any dinner plans or anything during the week. And then today, you know, we shoot times back and forth and I'm like, oh God, he's going to hate me because we, we said seven and now we're a little bit earlier. So thank you for being flexible too, because uh, I definitely wanted to come and help you out. This is my first time being on the pod. So again, anytime. And I'm glad we were able to uh, connect. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, we try, like, especially when I mess up on my end and put people on short notice, it's like, what, the least I could do is be flexible, right? So <laughs> here we are. Um, I got five questions for you, as we normally have for all our guests. And, uh, yeah, I'll just start right here off the top. I mean, because one thing that we like to do with our podcast here, with the Believe in Jags podcast, is especially with the good teams that we play, right, we like to find out to give our fans a visual of how the teams that we are playing got to where they were. So the fans can get a feel of what the Jaguars need to do in terms of their GM and their coaching situation and all of that ownership of what they need to do to get to the mountaintop, like the bills, sure. in this yeah. case. because it wasn't all that long ago that the bills were searching for a quarterback and now they have one. And now like he's an MVP candidate and like they're seeing new heights and people are predicting them to go to the Super Bowl and all of this. So, in your opinion, what are the three key moves that got the Bills to the team that they are today in terms of what the front office has done? Yeah, I, I mean, really the starting off the top, I mean, I, I guess not even off the top, Josh Allen, of course, they got the they got a MVP candidate quarterback, and that is so much easier said than done, but... You know, I don't want you guys to think that we're taking that for granted in Buffalo. I mean, they had the longest playoff drought, which ended uh, right against you guys. We were, you were our first playoff opponent in 20 years. So that was uh, that was quite a thing. And of course, it was not against Josh Allen. It was against uh, Terod Taylor at the time. But, uh, you know, uh, the easiest one to start, number one, Josh Allen comes in, builds up a bona fide quarterback, a guy who everyone knows now everyone knows it's not a normal thing for us even still it's not a normal thing for me to just talk like the bills are so casually good under center so number one find a good quarterback and it looks like you guys got someone young who you think might uh, might go that same route hopefully uh number two even predating that you know it took me some time to finally buy into this one 
But then the Bills, they got Sean McDermott as their head coach. They got Brandon Bean as their GM. I know you're talking specific moves, but the Bills were such just churning out these. I mean, Rex Ryan preceded Sean McDermott. They had all these coaches that were just, you know, never got a team that believed, believed in this process. They set that standard. And I am not a big fan of just those coach speak things, but I mean, the Bills really, they pulled it off. I mean, they got a guy that everyone in there believed that first year that Sean McDermott was a coach. No one expected them to be in that playoff game against the Jaguars. And they, they did it. Uh, and that, that really, really set this team up for this future success they had. Of course, they did take a step back the next year because Josh Allen was a rookie and they weren't great in 2018. But other than that, they've been great. We're going to talk more recently, the moves that have put the Bills over the top. I mean, when Allen was younger in his first year or two, I mean, that offense, sure, he was a rocky thrower early on. They kind of always had the defense uh, since McDermott came in. His scheme's a big part of this. But adding the big piece, you know, I don't want to, again, take a low-hanging fruit, but getting a guy like Stephon Diggs up in that team, I mean, that that sent some that's some shockwaves across the NFL. You know, the Bills got Stefan Diggs and, you know, and even the early, early feeling in Buffalo, there's always that little, because I mean, similar to Jacksonville, we're kind of like two of the smaller markets. So it's like, well, he want to come to us? Well, he's want to come. And like, he's like, yeah, he's coming. He's doing this. And it really, it kind of was one of those things that sent shockwaves that were like, all right, the Bills are for real. And then even if we're looking for something added, I mean, they keep adding to this team too. I mean, you heard this week, maybe Von Miller, well, you know, Von Miller got traded, but Apparently the Bills were maybe in on that too. So credit to this front office that they're always looking at every single spot everywhere, even the defensive line. I mean, they, their top two draft picks were pass rushers in uh, 2021. And like I just said, they were still going in for Von Miller. So they just kind of just always, whenever there's something there, they're always in on it. They never settle. So the Bills had no reason to be in on that deal. Kind of kudos to what this front office's mindset is. So there's a mindset, I guess, is a fourth bullet point for Jaguars fans that you're looking for out of your front offices just always adding pieces, no matter, even if you don't necessarily need them, if it's going to make you better do it because the bills have, have actually done that and they've done it well. Yeah. I don't know if the Jaguars will, and I don't know if Balky has the guts to do it yet, but it's, it's his first year. So we, we really don't know. All we really have to go off with Balky is from when he was with San Francisco, like in terms of an extensive timeline, but you make a lot of good points. A lot of the points you made is funny. We literally in this podcast, that you're in right now beforehand talked about that same stuff. The digs thing caught my eye immediately when you yeah. said that. And the digs trade caught my eye in the sense that you said they were wondering because we wonder this often ourselves, right? Is does this player want to come here? Right. That's yeah. something that Jags fans constantly battle. And he did want to come there for, in y'all's case and y'all got him. And that being said, you know, me and Phil talked about it in this same podcast is all it takes is that one move to start a trickle effect, right? That one marquee mm-hmm. player comes in and then other marquee players want to come in. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that you kind of touched on that you were kind of getting at there is that it just takes one player and maybe, you know, the Jaguars could get that one guy, whoever it is. Um, and then, you know, everybody else will want to pour in. That's what happened with that 2017 team. They got Calais Campbell. And then, you know, others wanted to come and join the mix, you know, A.J. Boyer, yeah. go on and so forth. So that's just kind of how those deals work. But anyway, I digress from my point. My second question is going to be on, um, you know, you talked about Josh Allen. If you would just if you what's been a key to his growth, whether it's a specific coach or things he's been doing in the offseason. But 
Uh, how has Josh Allen gotten to be the MVP caliber player that he is now? Because, uh, you know, he's a guy that we can remember the infamous Jalen Ramsey, who was once here. I know they don't like it when I talk about Jalen Ramsey, but, you know, he once threw shade at Josh Allen. And now this yeah. guy is just that guy in terms of uh, what you want in a quarterback. Yeah, I actually, uh, not to bring up, sorry, Jags fans, to bring up Jalen Moore, but I was thinking this week, you know, I do my weekly storylines for the game, and I'm like, what's a good storyline for Bill's Jags? And I'm like, shoot, the last time these guys played was when Jalen called him trash. I was like, that's how long it's been. Uh, for Allen, for him to take the le leaps and bounds he did, the guy that a lot of people in Western New York and Buffalo look to is Brian Dable, the Bill's offensive coordinator, which is kind of ironic because in his tenure, if you look at his resume, He's never really had a great offense, but the things that the Bills have instilled in Allen, you always hear, you know, the folks on ESPN, all the talking heads on TV that they need consistency in the coaching staff. So that has proven to be true with Allen because it just seems like he's churning along at the pace that he, that this team wants him to, and to really help him go leaps and bounds. And if we're going to talk more te technical on the field, his intermediate passing has just grown leaps and bounds before it was, he was so inaccurate and he just worked really hard at improving that part of his game. And that's that honestly combined with Stefan Diggs. Cause that's like his bread and butter, the area of catching the ball. It's just gone leaps and bounds. It's certainly not just animal alone. He has some great playmakers along with him, but his intermediate passing has been great. His deep ball hasn't really super improved. It's gotten a little bit better, but like I said, just that those intermediate medium routes, he's, he's been great there. Yeah, you mentioned somebody there that me and Phil were high on. Uh, that's Brian Daybowl. And we were highly disappointed when the Jags didn't interview him during the interview process. And uh, needless to say, Urban Meyer doesn't have a lot of fans outside of the Florida and Ohio community. <laughs> and me and Phil are, you know, even though we are, well, you know, Phil lives in Florida and I'm, I'm a Georgia native, but we weren't the highest on Urban Meyer and, you know, like we would have preferred a Brian Dable. And as you said, yeah, there was the concern that that's something I found in my research is, you know, he didn't have a lot of super explosive offenses and these offenses that stood out on paper, but looking at it in hindsight, we still kind of wanted that guy that had worked with college quarterbacks. That was the draw for me because, you know, obviously we were getting Trevor Lawrence. So yeah. for whatever reason, they didn't, you know, talk to him or interview him they interviewed a whole bunch of other folks along with urban meyer but uh yeah he's a guy that you got to feel like you know he's coming up next in terms of one of those top names you hear to be a head coach in the future especially with the leaps and bounds josh allen has made so yeah and josh allen himself has put in the work like you said coming out of wyoming yeah. I, I mean i was a little sketchy on him myself man in terms yeah. of the accuracy you know like i was like oh man i don't I've seen Blake Bortles a lot of times and I saw like pieces of Blake Bortles there, but yeah. he did, yeah, of course, like his spiral was tighter and this, that, and the other. He wasn't an exact replica of Blake Bortles, anything like that. But I mean, he's proven a lot of us wrong and, you know, like I'm cool. And I've admitted it on the podcast many times. Like he is a much, much better player than I thought he was going to be. And I think like he's going to get better as well. And I think we all can agree on that. So uh, my next question, I'm going to go into a situation. Me and you talked about this beforehand. We work for two small market teams or we work for two small market. We cover two small market teams, right? So your stadium situation is one we cover often on our podcast. And uh, Phil and I have looked into it. Me specifically have looked into it because I feel like, you know, it's possible the Jags may need to just build a whole new stadium because that way they'll get a long-term lease like a, 
20 to 30 year lease to keep the team uh, as opposed to what they're going to do in this bill. They're going to do renovations, which I mean, that'll get a, them a decent lease as well, but not as long as what you guys are looking at a new stadium. So if you would sure. just talk about that new stadium situation and uh, you know where the city is with that now, how much is it going to cost? And also, you know, do you think it's going to get done because, you know, you see the PFTs of the world trying you, you know, spin that narrative of, oh, you know, it's it's a small market city that might yeah. not want to, you know, might not want to give up that kind of money and this, that, and the other. Yeah, it seems pretty on, on track to work out in Buffalo. I'm not sure if, and I don't think this is playing the biggest part, but I think it might be playing a little bit of good good faith in our hands is that uh, Roger Goodell is actually a Western New York Buffalo native. So he kind of has a little bit of a connection to the area. And it's almost like he might never be able to come back if he lets that happen. So that's what we like to believe here. But it does seem like all parties, it's going to work out well, is what the big key piece is going to be. And they're starting to work this out now. And they just, New York State did their study into this just yesterday, just this week. They just released it where the Bills playing Orchard Park. It's about 20 minutes south of Buffalo. It's not in downtown Buffalo. And they kind of released the studies of how much building the stadium here would be, how much it would be where it is now. Essentially is what they're landing on is some hundreds of millions to build it right next to where it is now, which is probably what's going to happen because to build it in Buffalo, it's going to cost billions. So billions with a B versus millions with an M. It's pretty much where we're at there. And the Bills ownership uh, the Pagula family, I mean, they they own the NHL team, the Buffalo Sabres. So they're they're very tied into the area sports wise. It's kind of almost what their new business model is. I mean, they, the overlying owning is own ownership is Pagula Sports and Pagula Sports and Entertainment or something. So they're very tied to the area, which is like very, you know, very good for the Bills. They you needed someone local. Uh, when Ralph Wilson, uh, the original owner, passed away, he was the founder of the team way back when. So that was really the biggest the biggest thing in, in, in the situation for the Bills is someone to come in that's locally because it wasn't almost like with the Buffalo Sabres going back in the day, they went up for sale, but when they were being sold, it was kind of like, who's going to buy it? The previous owners said that they were going to help out and try to get it to someone locally. When the Bills went up for sale, it's kind of like whoever has the biggest dollars is going to come and get this team. That's pretty much what happened. And uh, thankfully, Pagulas are local, and in terms of right now, it seems like the Bills are going to land on essentially building a new stadium. Probably one day in the future when the Jaguars are in town in Buffalo, they're going to see in the next couple of years, they're going to see another building coming up right across the street or so. So it seems pretty set in stone that the Bills are going to stay. They're just kind of, you know, the ink is almost drying. They're waiting to dot the I's and cross the T's. It's getting very close, and they just have to worry about, too, now just getting the lease situation done. Currently at Highmark Stadium, the county, Erie County owns the stadiums and the bills lease it from them. So now they have to probably extend the lease and they got to, you know, come to terms on that. And then uh, Erie County is going to also be part of the uh, ownership of the stadium in the future. So it's kind of a lot of different moving parts between the state, the local government, the bills, but all parties seem to be falling in on that. This is going to happen there. And thankfully, because as you said, as a small market team, this is this was never like a, we're very confident this is going to happen. I mean, especially with the Bills, they played a couple games in Toronto. You guys know what it's like to play home games, not at home. We went through that whole thing. So if I if I can think anything positive to round this rant out about dollars and construction and what whatever, even yo, you guys are playing in London. It's not it's not over with. We played in Canada too, so we we know exactly what that's like, Jaguars fans. 
Yeah, I've always told, and me, again, going back to what me and Phil said in this podcast, they'll, they'll actually hear that after this interview, not before. But yeah, we, we talked about like, it's a, like a little civil war going on between Bills fans and Jaguars fans when the fact of the matter is it shouldn't be that way because we have a lot in common, as you just said. You guys yeah. know what it is to play or how it feels to play in another country or another, you know, whatever the case may be, another territory. And, uh, you know, that's what Jaguars fans are dealing with right now. And, and in terms of that that deal, I think it's important. And this is why me and I, at least I've stressed it, me and Phil have kind of stressed this, is that because it sets a blueprint that small market teams can do it too in terms of getting a new stadium if it had to be, the, if that had to be the case. Because we all know that at the end of the day, these billionaires that own these teams are, are pretty greedy and they will pack up and leave. <laughs> you know, if you don't give them what they want. And, you know, like up until now, it hadn't been a example of a team of a small market team being able to do this. And now yeah. the bills have stepped up and you, like you said, it helps that Goodell's from that area. So, you know, like that's kind of home and he doesn't want to see them go through that. But like now they have the blueprint for the Jacksonville Jaguars because I believe the Jaguars and the bills are two of maybe a few teams, maybe two of three that haven't had major renovations to their stadium or a new stadium flat out rebuilt um, or, or built, should I say. So they are the two teams that people are going to start talking about when it comes to this leasing stuff. Uh, the Jaguars, again, their plan is more so next year to address renovations. They'll probably do something like what Miami did and that'll mm -hmm. keep the team there for like, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever the case may be. But if it ever had to come to a stadium situation, we know who to look to, and that's the Buffalo Bills. So yeah, um, yeah. At least you guys have the because uh, the the other uh, the other thing that would the Bills fans would feel a little bit uh, they would feel a little bit bad about in terms of you know Stefan Diggs doesn't want to come to the Bills. Well, at least it's, it is beautiful weather I hear in Jacksonville as opposed to Buffalo, New York, a lot of the year. So that was another big thing too that people in Buffalo were like, well, we know it's cold here, but still stay. <laughs> yeah yeah they we've always threw that out there is hey the weather's better you know you don't have to. and yeah. then like we also had the we used to have oh the division is not all that great thing to throw out there but that's no longer the case because the titans and the, the colts are okay they just need a quarterback but uh yeah yeah that used to be our big you know our, our flashy thing that we would throw out there is to like hey that's why yeah. you should come to jacksonville and like for the, that's what we use with Calais Campbell, you know, at least the fans did like, do you want to play in Denver, which that's what he was leaning towards, or you want to play here and you know, it's, it's sunlight out here on 24 seven and we hardly like Jacksonville sits on the end that hardly deals with rough hurricanes like that they get hit yeah. but not like that so yeah I mean like the logistics of where the city is that does help so. I'm going to wrap it up with our last two questions here um my next to last question. Who was a player you would poach from this team? Um, I know the Bills are kind of stacked and don't really need anybody from the <laughs> But is it somebody that does come to mind for you uh, when you look at this roster? Yeah, I mean, the Bills, they their running game is, I mean, when you got, like, got a guy like Josh Allen, it's not exactly the, the thing that most outsiders look to, but the Bills don't really run the ball well. So we can go one of two ways here. I mean, Travis Etienne was actually a guy that a lot of Bills fans thought that Buffalo was going to get in the draft this year that didn't happen thanks thanks to you guys but um so maybe ETN 
Robinson, he's been doing good for my fantasy football team on a couple of different leagues. So got to throw some love up there for him for that. But um, I mean, I think uh, Norwell's probably your best offensive lineman, right? The Bills offensive line kind of it's I always try to explain this philosophy and I always like almost confuse myself. But another thing that the Bills built up when their new, you know, regime, Sean McDermott and general manager Brandon Bean came in, their offensive line was so brutal. Uh, it was so bad. They got some pieces. They got like the same pieces that are there, but they rose it from stay like 31, 32, like the bottom of the barrel to like 20 to 15 area. And looking through the scope of like the worst offensive line in the league, they look a lot better. But now we're at the point where it's like, all right, if we got a Norwell in there, like this offensive line would be way better. They, they, they don't really have any stuff. They've Deion Dawkins is pretty solid left tackle. Aside from that, I don't know. Mitch Morris is okay. Center. He's kind of overpaid a little bit. I think a year or two ago, he was like the second highest paid center in the league. And you're like, you know, for that price, you kind of want a really, really good center. Daryl Williams, who's been like up and down his entire career, mostly downs with the Panthers. So offensive line, they could definitely, need. I think that's probably going to be where they're looking next off season. But yeah. Hey, if I can throw some love to my man, James Robinson on my fantasy football teams, he's carried me a couple games in the past. So. Yeah. We, we echo those sentiments with the, the Jags in terms of the offensive line. They're, you know, they're not elite, but 20 ish. And, you know, people have grown accustomed to just having such bad quarterbacks that it kind of screws up their judgment on the offensive line. And, you know, we've seen it. If you study the the league right, a good quarterback can get away with an offensive line that's in the 20s. Now, when he's dealing yeah. with, you know, 28th and below, then, yeah, he, he isn't going to be able to flourish with that. And that's something we've kind of tried to stress with our fans because, you know, like – the years and years that they, or the two years they had Garden Minshew, he made the offensive line look worse than what it was. So now that they got Lawrence, you know, the offensive line looks a little better. They didn't look all that great against the Seattle Seahawks, which is weird. But I think that was because they're coming out of the bye and they were a little bit lethargic. They just don't know how to come out of byes well, out of breaks well at all. We saw that when the first game of the season, when they had those two weeks, they just – I don't know what they do in their spare time, but they don't look good when they come out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I agree with what you were saying. You know, and, and see, you know, the Bills have gotten to that point where they're elite in a lot of places, and now you can push for a offensive line that's better than 20. You know, like yeah. the Jaguars aren't there yet. They just have to deal with what they have at the offensive line, and that'll make do with Trevor Lawrence. So long as it's not, uh, you know, in the bottom fourth of the league, they can make do with that and, and worry about other needs because they have way more needs than, you know, in the trenches in terms of on the offensive side. So um, I'm going to wrap it up with the last question. And I just want to know your score and prediction on uh, this game. I had the bills winning. I think in my prediction, I put it in the paper 34 to like 14 or something like that. I, I'm not too optimistic about this one, but I actually had 34, 10, 34, 10, right. <laughs> But uh, go yeah, ahead. yeah, I, th- I think it's something like that. 34 10. The Bills, they're just they're really humming along on both sides of the ball. Their their defense was a little bit lackluster and lackadaisical at times last year. Uh, and their offense is kind of kind of just rolled throughout the entire year. But the thing is, even in their two losses, Titans and the Steelers, even the past couple years when they lose to those teams, for some reason, it's just like those teams have their number. Like they've beaten the Steelers the last couple of years, but it's been like by one score, something like that. Titans, they beat the Bills just last year. You know, the Bills almost made the Super Bowl a year ago. The Titans are one of only two teams, three teams that beat them last year. So it's just those teams have had their numbers and other than uh, the Bills number. And then other than that, I mean, the Bills have just really rolled. They're, they're playing strong. And 
even there, they're getting the turnovers too. I think uh, one thing I wrote this week was their turnover differential is the highest in the league and the Jaguars are closer to the bottom. So I think that'll play a part in keeping the score kind of a little bit, a uh, little bit lopsided here, unfortunately, you know, and, you know, the Jaguars I know are dealing with a couple more injuries than I even really realized this week until, you know, you start doing your research, you know, I don't have to tell you how our jobs go, but uh, uh, yeah, you start doing your research and like, oh, okay, okay. This guy's hurt, shark out. So but yeah, I mean, you guys got got some pieces there, and I think we're maybe uh, maybe another year or two away from this game being a little bit closer. But you know, I'll go with the Bills, thirty four ten. Yeah, I, I mean that that sounds about right. I don't know, like I, I do think the Jaguars could come out of now that they had the bye week behind them, they could come out way better than they were looking against the Seahawks. I don't think they have a chance to win, but. I just, like I said, I just don't like the way they come out of breaks. And I think they'll be closer to what they were against Miami than what they were against uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So that's why I put 14 or maybe, you know, like I, I could see them scoring 17, 21 to 34 or something like that if if they're lucky. But nonetheless, I mean, the Bills are a superior team and it, it probably won't be close in the end. Uh, the Jaguars haven't played all that great at home too, so that's an issue in itself that they need to take care of too. But um, anyhow, uh, we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to let you, uh, if you would just plug all of your handles and all your information, where the people can find you. And uh, yeah, we'll appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Any, anytime you guys need me, um, I'm at Nick, Nick, Wot- Nick underscore Woten, W-O-J as in Jack T-O-N kind of goofy name to say, but way easier to spell is at the bills wire. So give us a follow there or a touchdown wire for all your NFL news that we're, uh, we're all putting combined as a team out there. So yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on and anything else this week. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll get some behind enemy lines uh, written out and whatnot uh, later this week. So uh, yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Yeah. No problem at all. And this is behind enemy lines for week nine and we are signing out. All right, everybody. Shout out to Nick for that conversation there with you, Jay. Uh, again, I, I really always... The Bills are an interesting team for me because I have a lot of really close friends in Buffalo. So the Bills do hold like a special place in my heart. So even though I know the fan base, like our fan base and their fan base is pretty salty about how you know they treated Jacksonville during that playoff game as far as you know uh, leaving a lot of trash out and stuff like that. I wasn't here. I, that's all hearsay. That's just what I heard. But, you know, I always do like it when we play the Bills because it gives me and my friends up there a chance to, you know, to reconnect and do a little trash talking. But, you know, uh, they've obviously got a a good thing going there up in Buffalo. And Eric and I haven't been back to the stadium since I think the end of September, beginning of October. And we're a little worried about this game considering how the Bills are playing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and also, like, I think, like, the Bills are a franchise that the Jags fan base have beef with. But we shouldn't because we're all in the same boat. And I say that in the sense that we're both small market teams and we can learn a lot from each other in terms of, you know, how the Bills handle this, how the Bills handle that. And, and you know, you know, it's, it seems like a lot of people like to gang up on the small market. So the small market teams can't have battles and civil wars within each other. Right. So maybe, you know, down the road, like, you know, we'll find some common ground and start stop beefing with each other and, you know, get on track to like, you know, kind of like, like you said, lobbying for each other and, and having that kind of mutual respect for each other as, as two small market teams. Kind of like, you know, like our relationship with the number one Bengals podcast, two small market teams 
we understand where each other's coming from kind of in the same boat with two new quarterbacks and you know it you just can you can more so connect with those people better than you can connect with a Philadelphia Eagles fan, right? Or a Cowboys fan or whatever the a case Rams may be. Fans, a Rams fan, yeah. right? Because they can relate. So, yeah, man, maybe uh, that's something we get cleaned up down the road. Yeah, you know, we talk about Buffalo and monitoring their stadium situation all the time. Uh, I will say the fan base, you know, having visited Buffalo a couple of times, I mean, they love their bills. I mean, there's also not a whole lot to do up there other than drink and watch football. So, and eat the uh, the amazing food that is in Buffalo as well. So, uh, Jay, we're going to wrap this thing up. Is there anything else you want to mention or let everybody know they can look forward to not only here on the podcast, but also over on the Jaguars wire? No, nah, man, it'll be, you know, we're back into the routine with the bye going uh, with, with us past the bye week, should I say it? So it'll be, uh, you know, same old, same old me and Nick will link up for behind enemy lines. He'll do one for me. I'll do one for him. Those will be on the Bills and Jaguars wire. Uh, at least that's the plan. We ain't spoke on it, but that's you know we that's the routine. So uh, look for that to happen. And uh, yeah, I thought about doing some bonus episodes for the podcast. You know, maybe throw some bonus episodes out there. Personally, I haven't even talked to you about that. Maybe reach out to Ian Rappaport again, Albert Breer. It's that time of the year. You know, we're one in what six now, so we need to start talking about like, you know, the future as well, even though we got Trevor Lawrence. So that part is taken care of, but talking about the future with some of these big time insiders. So maybe, you know, we reach out to somebody like that and start talking about the Jags future, but uh, yeah, for the time being, it'll be, um, you know, the, the schedule will go on as it normally does uh, during the regular season. That is right, folks. Again, thank you all so much for the support we have. Uh, you know, like I said, we got some, Stuff in the works, you know, maybe work out some additional episodes because, uh, you know, we, we know you guys love the content and we appreciate you. Again, if you're enjoying the show and you're listening on your Apple device, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It's one of the best ways you can support the show. We can also be found on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. Of course, we're at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow the show on Twitter where we are the most active at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. Guys, thank you all so much for listening to Believe in the Jaguars presented by Bet Online. Don't forget to believe in the Jags, but more importantly, believe in yourselves. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.